Hey, online family, this is Pastor Amy. Welcome to Bethel Lutheran Church. We are in the midst of an online worship transition, so we want to thank you for your patience as we move through this time where we are offering simply the sermon live recorded on Sunday. We hope to bring you more details about what to expect in the future very soon. If you want to prepare for today's message, I suggest you open up your Bibles to Acts 27 and take a look at the Apostle Paul's storm and shipwreck adventure that he goes through right before he finally arrives in Rome. So that's our our teaching today. Enjoy the sermon. It's all about what we do when we do not feel at ease in the boat we have chosen and uh, how we navigate the tough times when we experience difference with our fellow church members and difference with our denomination. I hope it encourages you in your own journeys. Peace be with you all. So I promised you last week that this was the sermon I was going to give this week, that I wanted to talk about some of the, the conversations I've been having about Bethel entering a new phase of ministry. For the next while, we're going to be a church in transition. I don't think it's going to be like the apocalyptic storm in the Mediterranean, I'm pretty sure. But um, but I'm saying goodbye, right, as you prepare for a new leader. And this is going to be a time, and I don't know how long, a year, two years, however long it takes you to find your new person, but it's going to be a time of intense self-examination, It's going to be a time of getting to know what your hopes are, a time for realistically assessing what it means to be church at this point in history, because I think this is a unique time uh, in history to be a church. There's a lot of factors to consider that are beyond any one of our control. When I first made this announcement, I shared with you how deeply I felt like you were gonna, you're ready, right, for a new voice, a new teacher with a, a different set of passions, a new way of relating to you, and a personality that you can't necessarily predict. I think I'm probably pretty predictable at this point. And with a new chemistry, you're inevitably going to have discoveries and growth. Many of you are able to feel this excitement, even as you are sad, of course, with my departure. But there are some in your midst who are really not excited. They are worried, and maybe even beyond worried, as one member said to me, she is scared. And it's these conversations that I want to open up to you today, because I've had a few of them, conversations that reveal our fear in the future without the pastor that you know. And it's been one of the most important things to take place after I made my announcement, these honest conversations about what we fear. And I say that because the fears have actually always been there. Just because I'm leaving doesn't mean that these fears are new. They've actually always been there, but they've been under the surface because at this point, after the, the decade plus I've been here, I represent safety. And that's because we have the trust of a long relationship. With leaving, those fears are now on the surface, which is actually good because now we can talk them through and bring awareness to them, hopefully in a helpful way. And that's actually what I want to do today is bring awareness to the fears that we might have. So I don't know if this is a surprise to you or not, but a handful of our church members love Bethel. I'm pretty sure they like being Lutheran, but they are not so sold on the ELCA. 
probably does not come to as a surprise to any of you who are involved in the leadership of the church. So just as background, there's something like 30 plus versions, 30 different Lutheran denominations in America. I don't know if you are aware of that. But the ELCA, Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, we're the largest by a lot of those denominations. And we are the most progressive of those Lutheran denominations. And we are aligned with other progressive denominations like the Presbyterian Church USA, the Episcopals, the UCC, some of the, some of the Methodist wings. Many of you are here because of our progressive way of being church. But what does that mean, Pastor? What's a progressive way of being church? Well, we have an open communion table. That's one, right? We're open to guests. You don't have to be part of our church and you just want to meet Christ. That's the only prerequisite for coming to our communion table is the desire to meet God. We allow women in the clergy and even on our councils. Some churches don't even actually allow women on their councils. I know I'm getting the stink eye from some of you. <laughs> we believe that it's important to be in relationship with the world beyond church and not in a domineering or colonial kind of relationship where we are only interested in those who might convert to us. We do not say, like, we have an interest beyond that. We are interested in the world beyond church for its own sake, for our desire to serve on its terms, all the while maintaining our rootedness in a loving creator. That's how we are with the world. We're not cloistered into our walls only associating with those who are like us or could be like us. And when we go through social change, this is another progressive part of our identity, when we go through social change, we undertake prayerful deliberation and we do democratic consensus building to see what that means for us. We are not a top-down organization. And I know you've heard this quote probably several times over, the bishop is, always likes to say, I'm the least powerful person in the church. Now, the question in, is in our denomination, the people have the power, but whether or not they want to claim that power, that's a different story. We also work hard to use the biblical word in the way that it was intended rather than as this rigid handbook of rules that keeps people out. We don't apply a literal lens our ancestors would not have understood. Those are all progressive ways of being church, and I think that most of you probably welcome those things about being part of this community. But, are you ready for the but? <laughs> then there's the politics of being progressive in the ELCA. And I don't have to tell you that the ELCA as a national body has a left-of-center persuasion. You see it in our social teaching. Right? You see it in the kinds of leaders and pastors that we attract and elect. You see it in how we respond to global and national events, especially living in California like we do. We really, we really feel that. I would say we're not like the MSNBC of, like, the, of the church world, but like we might be the Washington Post, right? Like that's maybe where I would put us in like media land. And again, for some of you, this is why you have chosen an ELC congregation. But for others of you, it's something you tolerate, but you're not especially thrilled about. I can remember well when one of our members articulated this feeling of tension with her ELCA church. It was right after Ralph's funeral, and I'm winking at her right now, a few years back, and she shouted across the fellowship hall where we were all eating, well, pastor, I sure don't like your politics, but you do a good funeral. <laughs> In other words, 
I'll sacrifice something in order to be able to celebrate like this. Yes, we're a purple congregation. It's a breed of church that is rapidly disappearing in the U.S. Because America is a place where our sense of belonging now and our sense of self is deeply enmeshed with our political affiliations and our convictions. And that's true for all political parties. And I don't have to tell you how challenging it is to navigate that because it's becoming harder and harder to separate who we are from what we do with our politics. And sometimes it even becomes dangerous. In religious terms, we are flirting with idolatry. And I would say we probably crossed that line some time ago. All of us, right, all of us have been affected by that. So it's rough going. A lot of you cope with that tension by avoiding groups or study or teaching that's going to push your buttons. Or if not push your buttons, you just don't want to be in the presence of conflict or politicized tension. Largely, I think we have done pretty well getting through the times when these conflicts are especially tough. Not that it's easy all the time, right? But we've gotten there. And I think you've done a pretty great job of doing what Paul commanded those prisoners and centurions and sailors to do, which is stay together. The only way we get ashore is when we stick together. So I was doing some reading over the summer about how we're socialized, and the author of the article I was looking at said, when we're faced with difference, we often, we're mammals, we experience difference as threat. And we respond to this threat in one of three ways. Typically, one of these three ways, not always, but typically. Number one way we respond to difference is we want to assimilate the difference, meaning here, let me change you so you can be more like me. Or something else will say, same thing, as long as you act like me, we're all good. <laughs> Right? That's the assimilate. That's the assimilate option. Number two way we encounter difference, we want to kill the difference. And I don't have to tell you what history looks like around that. Number three, we want to leave the difference. I'm not going to deal with you anymore. I'm not going to show up to the difference. And no doubt you all could fill in the blanks with all the ways our American culture has leaned into that third option. Now, much harder, because we have to override all our biology and socialization, is to stay present and not try to change anyone. Instead, we let our presence together do the changing of the future. We work on the space between us, and we let that space between us be the guide. And this is what Paul understood. Staying together would bring the outcome that God desired. That's how you move through the storm. As we come into a period of change here at Bethel, these anxieties about difference in an age of political identity, they're surfacing as we knew they would. And so I have some things to say to those of you who lean conservative, and I have some things to say to those of you who lean liberal, for what they're worth anyway, things that I could think of that could be helpful when the waters get a little bit choppy. So who wants to go first? <laughs> I'll just, shall we just start with the conservatives? Let's just start there. Are you ready, people? Do the work of naming your non-negotiables. One of the wisest things one of our conservative members said last week to me was this. I don't like how the Synod has responded to our national situations, right? This period over COVID, all our racial reckoning was particularly distressful for her. But, she said, what am I going to do? I want an open communion table and I can't give up women in leadership. 
Maybe there are days when it's just going to be tough for me. And I say that this is wise because she was able to articulate where she could compromise. And by compromise, I don't mean agree. She's not saying like, oh, I'll just become a liberal, right? That's not what she was saying. But she means that there are times when she knows she's not going to get all her needs met or when she's not going to be fully reflected by her denomination or by the pulpit. Because of her value, she has decided that she can live with this. And I told her we should make her some trigger tickets so she can give them out to the new pastor. And the new pastor could get like three times a year when they could say something that really grates her. I remembered once after I prayed with her for a relative, she was feeling so good that she told me I had a six-month get-out-of-jail-free card. <laughs> right? Those are the kinds of things that we need in these times. Sense of humor helps too, let me just say. So being clear with yourself and what you can live with, right? that's really essential. And you figuring out what is essential to you in that relationship. Number two, and this is kind of for everyone, conservatives and liberals alike, what do we do when the pastor preaches a sermon we really don't like? <laughs> what do we do in that moment? Well, one thing that we can't do, right, is hinder the pastor's voice. Like, we can't show up with a big list of pastor, don't say this, don't say this, don't say this. Like, that's not going to work. And I'm not saying that because that's what happened to me. That's never happened to me. But I'm saying it because this was another conversation with someone else that I had about this transition. And this member feared a political pulpit, and the trouble is, ELCA pastors are trained and expected to respond to current events and help us make meaning of our times. And I empathize with her because often in wider church circles here in California, I also feel like a fish out of water. It might surprise you to know that I am not as progressive as the centers of our regional entities. So I get it. Yet we can't declare certain topics or perspectives off limits, especially when there's integrity with denominational teaching. So that just makes for mistrust and mind reading, right? Mind reading never goes well, right? Mind reading never goes well. And I confess, I think one of the things that I could have done differently with you all along the way is just check in with you. I mean, imagine if there was a really difficult national issue and I wrote my sermon on Tuesday, yeah, right. But I wrote my sermon on Tuesday and then shared it with some of you who are different from me and we worked through it together and created some kind of common message. I mean, that would be kind of an amazing thing to do. I wish I didn't think of it yesterday, right? But like those are the kinds of things that I that I think could be helpful. Checking things out with you. Does this work? Am I getting it right here? So what should our attitude about preaching be? I guess that I would encourage you to remember that not every sermon is going to hit home with you, but it might for the person sitting next to you on a day that it's hard for you. I know for me in my process, I always imagine a different listener each week. So sometimes I'm preaching to a Republican, and sometimes to a Democrat, and sometimes to Martha Circle, and sometimes to the youth group, sometimes to a newcomer. I mean, you get the idea. Every week I have a really Today, this is all of you today, by the way. But I do have a strong picture in my head of who I'm trying to reach, and it varies. So there's days it's going to miss you. Or there's days when you're going to say, clearly, Pastor, we get our news from different sources. Right? All that's okay, because I can't change that, and neither can you. What you can do is have the conversation. 
And you should expect that from a pastor. You should expect to have leaders who can talk with you and work to understand your perspective, even if you don't agree. That's not a big ask, right? It's kind of fundamental. And that, I think, is what makes for an emotionally safe leader. Someone you can say, listen, here's what happened to me, and because of it, I believe this. So that's a thought for all of us liberals and conservatives alike. And, and by the way, I am going to quote Jack Fitzgerald again, second week in a row you've made it into the sermon, Jack. I mean, you are on a streak here. Second week, you often say this in Bible study and in men's groups and in the places where you travel. You say, I belong to a lot of different churches, right? Seen a lot of different preachers, and you get something from all of them. Yeah, he's nodding. It's almost word for word. And I don't know if you liked every single one of them, but you get something from every single one of them and find value there. That's the attitude that we can strive to have. You all need to convert into Jack Fitzgeralds, right? (laughs) That's the attitude that we can have as we enter this uncertain time in leadership. Progressives. Oh, how do you want to stay in the boat together? Just because she sighed, by the way, does not mean she's progressive. I just want to make sure that we're not giving our tells away. We want to recognize, this is so important, we want to recognize the value of our conservative members. You may deeply disagree with some of our conservative counterparts about an issue, and you have the privilege, generally speaking, of feeling at home with the ELCA messaging. And we're not going to give that up. We are who we are. But our red members are also invested in the life of this church and at every level in the life of this church. From the little stuff at Bethel to the big stuff, we're purple. And not only are our redder members valuable to church itself, but they bring insight and knowledge about things the rest of us might not see. That's been one of the best parts of my life with Bethel. We are well-rounded because we have in our midst so many different kinds of experiences. Every person is a universe of stories. But I will, this is going off script, Uh uh-oh. I will tell you something that you do all share, you know, regardless of your, your experiences or regardless of political affiliations. I find a common cultural element in our congregation is that everybody is willing to dig in right? How many small business owners do we have? Ranchers, right? Educators, hands-on service people who are out in the community. Everybody is willing to make their world by digging in and making a difference. That's been one of the best parts, as I say, of life with Bethel. We would be so flattened and colorless without this variety. So learn from each other. Don't become each other, right? Except for Jack. You can become Jack, but don't become each other, Just learn from each other. It is okay to have a denominational culture on which we stand and gives us moral direction and where we find commonality with nine to 10,000 other churches across the U.S. But part of that morality is valuing those who do not always find it easy but have chosen us anyway. Although nobody chooses church. You do know that, right? It's the Holy Spirit, actually, (laughs) who brought you and put you in these particular pews. That boat was in the storm with those particular people in it for no other reason that the Holy Spirit wanted those people in that boat at that time. It It was true then, and it is true now. So now that I've named all this so we can acknowledge the tension and the trepidation some of us are feeling, 
Because when three people come to you and have the same essential worry, we can bet those were just the three that were brave enough to actually tell the pastor. They won't be the only ones having those thoughts. But I have to say, and I really mean this, the conversations and the reflecting that you will do once I am gone, that's what's actually going to matter most. And maybe it's not the suggestions that I've made to you here today. Actually, this was like twice the size of the sermon. I cut it in half. You're so grateful, trust me, right? Because it doesn't really matter. In some sense, what matters are the conversations you're going to have around these things. And what matters is that question, how do we stay in the boat together? I'm pretty confident that if Paul wanted to stick with his jailers and centurions, you're going to be just fine getting through this next little while. Amen? Amen. Amen. And I'm going to round it out with a little Catholic doxology. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. You guys can be just fine. I promise.